Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome. Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Visual Workplace Radio, where we learn about the power, principles, and practices of sharing information visually. Hi, my name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. Thank you for taking time in your busy day to tune in. I'm really glad you joined us. Thanks. So in each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how visuality allows us to embed our intelligence into the living dynamic landscape of work. Our intelligence about the operational system, our intelligence about people, your intelligence, how to install the details of your current level of enterprise excellence, even if you are not quite as excellent as you wish you would be or as you know you will be. Whether you work in a factory, healthcare, office, open pit mine, military depot, we want to install the details of your operational system and make them physical. And why? <laughs> well, for the stunning bottom line results, improvement in safety, cost, quality, on-time delivery, productivity, improvement, dramatic improvement, and for the Splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce. That's what happens when you install a visual language. It connects us, it aligns us, and it allows us to contribute. And also, you know what? We want to enjoy ourselves at work. We want to flow. We want to become heroes of our work. We want the struggle to stop. And visuality produces those results, to which I say, oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) So welcome. Welcome. And this episode is the third and final installment in our discussion about the basics of setting up an improvement infrastructure. You may remember that we are in this discussion because we got some emails from you. Thank you at radio at visualworkplace.com. We got an email from Marianne from Michigan, and she described her struggle for the past five years with trying to get operators involved in this case, with her 5S, and she was very interested. She's very interested in iDriven, and she says, how do I contribute? How do I make sure I do it right and do it differently? How do, what do I do behind the scenes was essentially what she was asking. And also, George, from Anderson, Indiana, what do I need to do differently to give this a chance? He was also interested in this iDriven. And so it was time for us to talk about the infrastructure. We were going through doorway number one, which is one, which is the first (laughs) of the 10 doorways. Doorway number one is about operator-led visuality. You might put in that a home for 5S, but we want to do much, much more with 5S. We've been discussing doorway number one for a number of shows. We'll move on to doorway number two. I am almost positive next week. I think we can get through the agenda for the remaining parts of the basics of the infrastructure in this show. And so what we want to talk about is what is the departure, the difference 
in the way that we conduct the behind-the-scenes support that it will give us a greater chance of success for this model of the 10 doorways, for this model, in this case, of operator-led visuality. And the infrastructure is what can be so easily overlooked. You think, you know what, I've got a strong methodology that triggers great ideas from operators. We can take it from there. Let's train it, let's do it, and it's going to happen. Well, it's really not going to happen if you simply train, if there aren't support structures in place. A framework, I say, of interconnected elements, just like a building, that enables that building to stand up and perform your plumbing system, your electrical system, the connectivity that is hidden from sight but structurally, vitally important, indispensable. So we have a list of seven, and we are marching through them. We have two to go and then some commentary about how the whole thing works. If you remember the seven, the first was the vision place, which is a showcase-level setting, venue, store, library, post office, other factory, to help you know what you're aiming for, to help you stay inspired. So the first is vision place, find a vision place. Second is systematic methodology. That is your protocol. That's going to be your SOP for getting there. That is the roadmap. Third is excellent transfer materials. It's a fancy word, transfer materials for training materials. And in visuality, they need to be robust. They need to be full of examples and examples that teach, not just examples that show, but examples where your instructor can go in and say, what are you seeing? How does this work? And not just an explication of how it works, but really deductive learning. That's the third, excellent training materials. And boy, we've got them. And we pretty much have the best on the planet. I've been doing visuality for 35 plus years, and the materials reflect that. A really deep understanding and wonderful, wonderful examples from our clients, wonderful ones. Teaching examples. So, requirement number four, on-site leadership. We talked about the three-legged stool on the first show, I think, uh, on this and also last uh, episode, and the improvement time policy. The improvement time policy is time that you set aside, taken from production for improvement. Very, very important that that exists on a policy and not an optional level. And then you implement the policy and you see what the barriers are in the system. A lot of hidden things will come out, a lot of kind of weird ideas that people have about time about how you don't really mean I should stop working because up until now for the last 27 years, you've been trying to get me to work every single stinking minute I'm here. So I don't think you really want me to use production time for improvement time. So there's a wonderful, wonderful cultural shift that you can trigger if you write that policy and you begin to implement it and you keep your ears and your eyes and your heart opened and you begin to pick up the data of resistance because of fear. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool for that. Step Plus, you put a great policy in place and you develop the habit of uh, daily improvement because there's time. Even if you don't have time during a given week, although you're going to aim for that, the improvement time policy will say just because we're not doing it right now doesn't mean we're not committed. We're working it out. So there's a lot of detail in the last show. 
And we got up to the number six, which is the laminated map, which is a way that you focus so you're able to drive, and the blitz, the visual blitz, which is going to be similar to, but I think importantly different than what's called the Kaizen Blitz, how to really focus and drive the activity. We have those two left. The laminated map we're going to resume today, and then the visual blitz. And I wanted to tell you that my webmaster, Roberto, is putting a section on our website, visualworkplace.com, for um, resources, for for example, an example of an improvement time policy or for an example of a laminated map or um, other artifacts that I mentioned. Uh, you'll be able to see the 10 doorways, although you can see that on our website now under our approach. Visit our website. It's slowly getting populated with uh, the things that I think are really important for people's learning and their knowledge. Visualworkplace.com. All right, so let's go to the laminated map. I mentioned last week that one of the early problems in any kind of implementation, deployment, conversion is when management bites off more than it can chew, and that typically means that there's a upper-level decision to roll out and roll out fast and roll out wide and get it done. Mm? It is forward-moving, and it seems like it's assertive and strong and powerful, but in fact, it gets us into trouble because when we bite off more than we can chew, we literally cannot chew it. We have to spit it out, and that is the end of our implementation. It was not a seasoned decision. Well, to season that decision, part of our methodology of the seven startup requirements is the laminated map, which exists on a company-wide level. You can do a step down later on, and you'll be able to easily figure out how to do that on a cell level, but right now I'm talking about the map on a strategic or macro level. You follow a protocol of the laminated map, and it gets you to the place where you can ask and answer the question, where do we begin and why? How do I justify that? So here's the, here's the mechanics of it. You get yourself a big map of the facility. Black and white is perfect. Doesn't have to have a lot of detail. Has to have the boundary, the walls, just a basic map. If you've got one that's more complex, it's okay. It's a little bit hard to see. And frankly, it's better for it not to be in color because the color will compete with some dots that we're going to use to help us see better what our decisions are dots in four colors. So it's better black and white and then laminated. But this is a big map. We like to see it two by three, three by four. That's about the limit. But two by three is usually is normal. And what you do, the, the technique is very simple, is you put a boundary around the entire plant, around the entire value field. And if, for example, you have a dock, a loading dock, you include the pavement that supports the dock as well. So you're really looking at value fields. Remember our discussion in building blocks, one of the building blocks is value field, primary, secondary. Let me say right now that the people who do the bounding, who put, for example, a blue erasable line on the laminated map around the boundary of the plant, Those people are your supervisors. They're sitting around a table, 
usually double table because you've got a big map in front of you. The management champion, the first leg of the three-legged stool, the management champion is off in the corner. He's just there. He's in charge of the faucet. There's only two ground rules. And one is that the champion gets to turn the faucet off when he thinks that there's enough improvement activity for that cycle or for the plant, given whatever the factors are. And the second rule is about the supervisors who are going to sit around the table and they are going to work out where to begin. We're going to ask them to build a criteria in a moment, but they're sitting around the table. And the second ground rule is any supervisor who owns an area can say no. If his area gets nominated to be a focal point for where to begin. It's just no. So no is no. So no is taken as no. It doesn't have to be explained. The supervisor has control over whether or not his or her area is going to be in this cycle. And at the beginning, we talk about the first cycle. The first cycle of training and implementation, cycle one or cycle A. We call it the A cycle. So to set up the map for decision making, the supervisors are sitting around a table they have uh, water-soluble pens, like a vis-a-vis pen, in a single color, green or blue. Stay away from red because it has so many secondary meanings to it. Green or blue, so that you can see it against the black and white of the map. And the first thing the supervisors do, which is an easy task, is simply to put a boundary around the macro value field. With that done... The supervisors then begin to separate that macro value field into departments or natural work areas and put a boundary around that. That seems like a simple task that could be done by an an assistant in preparation, but in fact, you want your supervisors to do that together. And this is one of the components of visual thinking. You want there to be an opportunity for your supervisors who may not necessarily get along with each other. There may be some little wrinkles in their uh, relationships. But you give them a third focus. Not Johnny and not Jim. Not Jane and not Judy. But the map itself. And you let them work on that common task together. That will move light years for bringing them together. It is called in social psychology, the third focus. You create a third focus that is not a human being. And I think you've heard me talk about this a few times already, but it is a constant. It will come into play when we're looking at the schedule and visual displays. We'll be able to be very analytical and very super critical, not of you, but of the map. Not of you, but of the visual display. So this third focus is a dynamic that you as a smart leader or you as a trainer keeps in mind to diffuse the emotional charge, if there is one, and to also build commonality, working on that third focus together. In this case, putting blue boundaries, I'll just pick the color blue, blue boundaries around the natural work groupings or the departments. And you'll have some little cups of water nearby, paper towels or Q-tips, and if there's a mistake, then you rub it out, and that's, you're doing this task together. 
This is bringing you together. You're pooling the energy of your supervisors. They are becoming as one. They're moving through a common, very simple task together. And that will begin to smooth out the emotional connections between people. It's magical. You get kids, Montessori knew this. You get kids drawing. And they become engrossed in that focus instead of engrossed in each other. And they are therefore more at ease with each other if there are any bumps or lumps. So your your supervisors do that. They get their map. This will take them probably a half an hour. Let it. It's time well invested. Because what will happen is that the group will become a group by the end of that period. They'll have a few laughs. They'll have a few struggles. The task is simple. They'll get it done. Your trainer will be there. Your facilitator will be there just to keep things moving. If they see somebody hanging in the background, which we often do, we just say, hey, can you give us a hand and take this blue pen? Here, you do this. Or, hey, could you erase this line here? This is a mistake. And make sure it's dry because if it's not dry, the water-soluble blue pen is just going to move into a little puddle become a little blue puddle and you just make it very easy oh sure I'll do that yeah and suddenly people are together they're moving together and then you do the next step the next step is simply to get some the dots I mentioned these last week we use Avery they're transparent and they're easy to remove they're plastic dots they're not cut they're not um, paper They're easy to pick up. They're easy to move. You put down in each of those areas a blue dot. If you have 16, 17, or 23, a blue dot goes in each area. The only thing that's tricky about this is what to do with the aisles. Maybe the aisles belong to facilities. I like to see departments own aisles, own a part of the aisle. And be responsible for that aisle because it is going to be serving them in terms of carrying the whip in and out or some kind of activity related. So if it's got two sides or three sides, you might share it with another department across the way. But I like the aisles being owned by specific departments. And so the blue dot goes there. You got the blue dots on the map and now you're at the starting gate. And the starting gate is the beginning of the beginning. The question, where do we begin? Where do we begin with this implementation? And the sub-question is, how do we know we're making a right decision? How do we decide? And that's the next step. The next step is, okay, what we have to do as a team is come up with a criteria for deciding where we'll begin and why. So I want you to work in twos and threes and come up with what sounds like a criteria for beginning. Now you as the facilitator already know what that criteria is going to look like because you've done this a dozen times before. But you give people an opportunity to think through what the heck does criteria mean and how would we, how would we make a decision based on differences between departments That wouldn't give us a good decision. And what you're looking for is something like this. A set of criteria that has to do with why I will choose or why I won't choose. 
why I will choose might be something like this. We know that Ford is coming in in three months and they're going to come after us about our housekeeping and about our visuality, our visual management. So let's begin there because we're on the hot seat anyway. So that's one criteria. We have an urgent, we have an urgent customer need. Another one might be we want to have high visibility. So we want people to see the change. But the reverse criteria may be more important for your implementation. We want to be invisible. We want somewhere in the back where we're not drawing the spotlight because we're going to, we know we're going to have cultural difficulties or we know we're going to have timing difficulties. And let's not bring the spotlight to bear because in our culture, it brings a lot of extra baggage. So let's not do it. We're not the kind of culture that celebrates. We're the kind of culture right now that blames. So let's let's take a back seat. Let's be invisible. Another set of dual criterias would be we have a we have a one shift operation that's going to be so much easier to get people in the training room. But it might be look we have three shifts in most areas and we better figure out how to do this on three shifts. So that would go in the plus column as compared to the minus column. So you have these dueling criteria and you begin to take a sh- find a shape that will help you eliminate some areas as being candidates. It might be something like this. We want to have at least what if this is manufacturing and you know that's my my main world is manufacturing. And I love it. <laughs> if you have manufacturing, then you might say let's have at least one machine cell. Let's have one welding cell. Let's have not more than one welding cell. Especially if you have a linked welding cell where three or four people are working and it's a linked flow. You might want to experiment with that. You might want to experiment because an area had uh, low safety marks and needs the extra attention. But you build that criteria and you say, we think that we're looking for this. Let's see what happens when we bring the criteria to the map. And the discussion begins, but that criteria is very important to keep the discussion focused. And your facilitator will make sure to listen for, it sounds like we need to change that criteria. It sounds like you guys are drifting over towards the exact opposite, that you want low visibility, even though the criteria says high visibility. Can I change it? Yeah? Okay. So we're looking low visibility, three shifts because we want to experiment, one welding cell with more than one person. So we've got a link there. We want to have quality. We want to have um, material handling involved in this array. What fits that profile? And the discussion begins, and when this discussion begins, what happens is ownership. What happens is connectivity. What happens is understanding. People working and thinking together on a very specific task, one that has a very low charge. It's the beginning of a beginning. You've got your support your three-legged stool, you have your improvement time policy, you have a systematic methodology, you have your vision place, you know where you're going to go on that. You know you've got great training materials, this stuff is going to work. Let's make a good decision. And even as we make a decision, let's see if it was a good decision as things begin to roll out because we're not doing just one cycle, cycle A, where there's going to be a cycle B, a C, a D. Okay? And... 
you then find some candidates. And you change the blue dot to red. The red dot means something very simple. Let's get started. We have a long way to go. Red means let's get started. It's a little bit different. I mean, you can do the colors the way you like, but this is the way we do our colors. Blue is we haven't committed to this area yet. Did I forget to tell you? I might have forgotten to tell you. Blue means we haven't committed to this area yet. Not yet. Red means let's get started. We have a long way to go. And the red dot has the two ground rules. One is that a supervisor may say no to you when you say, hey, your area fits all the criteria. And the guy just says no. Luis says no. (laughs) He doesn't have to explain himself. But he may offer, you know, I'm getting three new machines in the next two months. I can't do it, guys. I'll help you, but I I can't be the focal point. I'm going to fail if he wants to offer that. And the second is the champion is in charge of the faucet and is in charge of the flow or the quantity of resources that are needed for support. So when the first red dot goes down, the supervisor, I'm sorry, the champion will say, yes, let's do another one. Could say no. I've never seen it happen. You usually have at least three you want to have three because you want to have the this connected process. And that might be another criteria for you. Let's try to find a configuration that will connect processes so we can also pay attention to the handoff, to the linkages between departments, between functions. You know, it's a really intelligent conversation. It's a smart conversation. And you go through that. And the champion says, no, go ahead. Let's take another one. He looks. He says, three people across three shifts. That's nine people. Here's another factor that I want to introduce, perhaps belatedly, that for your first training cycle, your A cycle, unless you're a very experienced trainer, you want to probably keep your training group to about 20 if you're if you're doing your own training of trainers and your trainers are going to be uh, learning everything for the first time, including platform skills, plus the methodology, plus the implementation support, the coaching, then you want to go easy. Twenty is like the upper limit. Twelve or fifteen should be the lower limit. After that, on that trainer's first cycle, when the, when the cycle, when the trainer has a second cycle, then you can up it, and you can bring it to twenty-five or thirty. Thirty is about the most I've handled as many as fifty-five and in Dutch, but that was just uh, some something got lost in translation. And when I showed up, there were fifty-five people there, and uh, there was absolutely no way that we could send some of those folks uh, back to work. They were all excited. So you can make it work uh, with 50, but you have to be really, really good at this stuff. 20 to begin with is kind of a max. And that's also a feature of the decision-making, should we go for more? But it could also be that the the, uh, management champion says, uh, you know, that's too much of our main value add or of our problem areas of our bottlenecks. 
and I don't want to I don't want to take on any more, not for the first cycle. Because he knows what I'm about to say. The first cycle, cycle A, has many secondary purposes, but its primary purpose is so that the trainer can get used to the methodology, so that the trainer can use the methodology. In this case, I'm thinking of work that makes sense, which is a 12-module training. It's very uh, clear and very protocol-driven. It has a very rich emotional base, cultural base, but the steps are clear. And with each module, especially after three, after the third module, there are certain outcomes that have to happen before you can go on to the next. And so the trainer is learning about the methodology and learning how to train it. And if you're using our online system, then learning how to use the online system, which is excellent. It's fully narrated, also in Spanish, by the way. And they're learning. So the first cycle is for the trainer. And there will be casualties, no matter what. The trainer is going to make some mistakes, but they're forgivable mistakes, and they'll do some damage, but they won't ruin anyone or ruin any anything. They'll just be mistakes. And so we say the first cycle, cycle A, is for the trainer. It is for the trainer to learn. There will be benefit, nevertheless, for operators and for the company, but the trainer hasn't quite hit his or her stride. With, um, with just learning the methodology. You have to really deploy it, and then you learn such a, great, a great deal more. Not only do the operators go through a transformation, but the trainers themselves, and I'll bet you too, goes, goes through, go through a, a cultural, emotional, heart-driven transformation and an intellectual one. It's quite a balanced methodology. So that's the first cycle. It's like having kids. First kid is your first cycle, is your A cycle. You're going to learn. But there'll be casualties, probably the kid, certainly you. The kid will probably need therapy by the time he's 13. (laughs) But you have a second kid, and you do better. (laughs) And by the time you're at kid three, you're perfect human beings. (laughs) The parents are perfect parents, and the kids are just, you know, Sterling. <laughs> uh, but that first kid, what are you going to do? You got to learn somewhere. <laughs> nice and easy. So that's the so you so that's the first red dot, and the second red dot comes next, based on the criteria. Until you have enough red dots, where you say we have maxed out on the number of people we can train or the amount of resources we can contribute, time to stop. That's enough for our first cycle, says the management champion. And then you begin. And you maybe have four red dots in a sea of blue dots. It's your first cycle. You can put a little date uh, date on the dot when you launch, of when you launch, and then you begin. And... As you begin and move through the methodology, change is going to happen very predictably, predictably, in fact, systematically. It's built into the protocol of work that makes sense. And the dots change accordingly. The dot changes from red to yellow 
when the visual wear is in place. When there is a border and address and if possible an ID label for everything that casts a shadow, that's yellow and you know what comes next is green. That's not green. That's not the culmination of the four-dot system. That is the substantial midpoint. Yellow is the visual wears in place, border address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. You have then stability. This is what gives you the stability that is the promise of work that makes sense. It is stability both of the process within the cell And it is the stability of the operator who feels in control of his corner of the world. His need to know is in place. Her need to know is in place. I need to know where things are. I need to know where my material is, my tools are. I need to know. I need to know how much, when. I need to know how. This is the visual wear in place. Okay? That stability, I will say as an aside, will create a line of sight for management where they will be able to see the real wiggle in the plant. The real wiggle, in my experience, is rarely the operator. Not once we give them the stability of the visual wear. Then they're smooth, then they're flowing, and any bumps are coming from outside the cell. And this is the great opportunity. I just had a conversation this morning with a plant manager. He was talking about what about doorway three, which is about visual displays and visual scheduling. Can we start it now? I said, no, I, I, I actually would prefer if we wait for you to really be motivated, for you to do it not just because it's the next step or the likely next step, but because you see that you need more information about what's going on from the point of view of the supervisors and management. That is the appetite that will come now that the visual wear is in place. His um, operators are just in their first cycle, and he's beginning to see, he's beginning to intellectually see some wiggles related not to the operators, but to his direct reports. He wants to do something about it, but it isn't ripe yet. All of this visual stuff will sound like just more work until you realize that you need the information. And when you realize you need the information, you want it. And then you do it. And you do it thoroughly. And you keep doing it. And you make the display speak. You make the display speak. You make them talk to you. And then they start talking to each other. Then you're really, now you're really rolling. So the yellow will give you that. It will give the operator stability, and it will give you line of sight to where the real wiggle is. You move on from there through other modules. You've done need to know. I need to know where things are, and now you move into need to share, customer-driven visuality. You begin to build your area around the need of others to know what you're doing. And you begin to create this connection. So that's the laminated map. It has four levels of dots. Blue, let, uh, we're not committing to this yet. Red, let's get started. Yellow, visual wear is sturdily in place. Green, customer-driven visual order is in place. 
fantastic. And you move through that, and then you do your second cycle, and you begin to, and that begins to pop. And as a rule, we like to have our celebration when the first area goes to green, not to say that the other areas that are at yellow or some will be at red, perhaps, if there are problems. Lots of different kinds of problems and factors can weigh in. But we like to graduate the cycle when the first green happens, just because it's time to celebrate. If the first green has happened, it's been a while, and people have been working hard and long, and they've been loving it, and they want to celebrate. You find lots of reasons to celebrate, but you certainly should celebrate when the first green happens. You kind of work that out for yourself. So that's a laminated map, and it's part of the infrastructure because you are making a declaration at the beginning that we chose you for a reason, and you're not the last. You are the first of cycles that will, of which you are the pioneer. You are the pioneers. You're going to find the way. And as you find the way, we will find our way. We're doing this together. So this map is not a punishment. It's not finger pointing. It's saying really along the way, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. We're working hard. We're contributing. We're learning the visual language. And we're beginning to transform. As the physical workplace transforms in visuality, eye-driven, then you're the humans who are part of that are transformed as well. It works coterminously, synergistically. One is a catalyst for the other. And what you get is growth. You get growth. So that's a laminated map. I've I've gone on a a bit longer than I expected. Let me move on to the visual blitz and say that in the visual blitz, the improve, this is a play on the improvement time policy. Some of your time and your improvement time is going to be used for your training. That may not be that hour a week that we talked about. The hour a week is usually for individual improvement or the, the, the blitz, the visual blitz. I like to see those three separate strains going across the chart. One for the improvement time investment, two for the blitz, and three for individual improvement time, where I'm just working on something myself. It's not even, you can call it a micro blitz, but it's just me. I'm working it through. I'm using my available downtime and my available, um, my available time to work out these Uh, visual solutions, these visual inventions. And you know that your inventions can also be um, non-visual. They can be just simply improvements that would, that improve your work area that cannot be classified as visual. So this focus, excuse me, I, I meant to tell you, this is a mistake on my part. Six has a second, six is about focusing the startup requirement six is about focusing the laminated map, but there is a second tool in the laminated in the in six that is a focus tool, and that's called a hit list. And that hit list is the list of tasks that the operators have uh, posted that they want to do, that they want to undertake. It's very, very important. The hit list is alive. It is owned by the operators. It is posted by the operators. And it is tracked by the operators. So it's operator-driven, but it is their projects and their tasks. And if they send a task out to you to do because you have the engineering know-how or they need something purchased, they will track that as well. 
they will want to track it and they will want to know what's taking you so long. So this again is building those bridges, this very responsible give and take between you, the infrastructure, and they, the operator leads. So startup requirement number six is the laminated map and the hit list. That was my mistake. I meant to mention that. The hit list is pretty straightforward. Oh, we've got some examples of some great ones. There's a group in, in Mexico doing uh, doing a new kind of hit list that I absolutely love. It needs to mature a little bit more, and then we'll put it in this little resource bin. I don't know what we're going to call that. It's probably going to be on the radio page, but I'll definitely let you know in the show where it gets situated, and we'll show you examples of that. Oh, great stuff. Just great stuff. Principles applied. That's what these are. Principles of seeing, principles of connection applied. So that's the startup requirement number six. I did not do a good job on that by by not putting those two together, laminated map and the hit list, but they are together. They are both focused driving tools. The Blitz startup requirement seven You might wonder why it is a startup requirement. It's because you need to designate that time for uh, group improvement that you're going to declare a blitz, which will take two to three hours as a macro blitz, two to three hours of production time. So let me give you the three categories of blitzes so you can see them. But this is part of the decision-making or the protocol or the infrastructure that's in place that is going to help you deploy. They are start, It's called a startup because you need to plan this in advance. It's going to eat up time on the schedule, but it also has this particular shape. And you want to control that shape. So in visuality, this is different than the Kaizen Blitz. You have a macro blitz, a mini blitz, (laughs) and a micro blitz. The macro blitz is the department shuts down. It doesn't have to be the whole cycle of four departments, although it often is because they're usually linked. But the department shuts down, and you're down for about three hours. Three, three and a half hours. Enough time to get your project going. You already know what your project is through the hit list. You have your tools and your supplies at hand. The operator chooses the task. Each operator, maybe I'm going to work with Marianne. Maybe I'm going to work with George. Maybe we're going to work together, usually no more than three. Or I'm going to work alone. We choose the tasks We let our supervisor know ahead of time we're going to be working on this. Supervisor or the coach, the training coach, will make sure that the supplies are there. If you need anything particular, let us know. We're going to try to have one once a month. We're going to try to have one twice a month. But we're going to try to have one with regularity. So we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. This is the time where you can work together and gain some momentum. So that's the macro blitz, whole department down. The mini blitz is can't afford to close down the the department, but two or three people can work on this if your department is big enough to begin with. And that becomes the blitz, and you keep the momentum going. If that's not possible, then you have a micro blitz, which is one person. We categorize it as a micro blitz even though it's one person because we want people to understand the regularity that pace is the outcome. 
if you can't keep up the pace, then it's going to fall apart. There's not enough momentum to keep the wagon rolling to get to, to keep the to keep us on the pony. Okay, we got to keep moving forward, keep moving forward, and the requirements are very simple. But this is the the blitz is something that you prepare for in advance. In Mexico, we call it the rafaga. I love that word, the rafaga. Rafaga, you can roll your R's. And it is a major piece. Now, one of the things that they're doing at Crown, which is so interesting, is that they try to have as many three-shift blitz as possible. They have to do this on Monday because people will get their, their rest on Sunday and come in fresh. So the, usually the blitzes happen on Monday. But that's also a really wonderful way if you can do it, if you can figure out how to do it, and that's part of your improvement time policy, figuring out how to deal with the shifts, then it's a really, really positive way to go. So those are the seven improvement time. I'm sorry. Those are the seven startup requirements. I want to say a few more things about the more interactive pieces, the blitz, the work on the laminated map, the on-site leadership, that when you do a world-class improvement methodology and work that makes sense is easily in those ranks, one of the outcomes you want is transformation on all levels. That means a transformation of the physical workplace, of the engineered space, of the space of design and intention that is called your company, your depot, your hospital, your plant, your factory. You want a change of that physical environment. But you also want a change in the people, and not just them, but you. You want the transformation to have enough heft and heart, enough intelligence and enough substance for it to change you, for it to be interesting to you as plant manager, as executive, as head engineer, as operator, as planner, whoever you are. You want it to engage you because it is interesting and compelling. These are not casual human activities. In the workplace, we have an opportunity to create a level of humanity that our founding fathers and captains of industries in the 19th century never conceived of that the workplace could really be a learning place, a place of inspiration, a place of human development and personal development, a place where I could be satisfied, a place, in the words of Charles Dickens, which I told you about, I think, in our second show, where I could be a hero of my own life. Will I be a hero of my life? It can happen in the workplace. It doesn't happen in spite of production. It happens because of production. And you use the laboratory of production 
as your intellectual focus, as the stamp size platform at the bottom of your uh, microscope. You study it, and it becomes interesting and, in fact, as I said, compelling. So when you do a transformation, when you do, when you open a doorway, for example, in our discussion of my approach, the 10-doorway model, which is pretty well discussed in my book, Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking, second edition. I, I have a choice. Get the second edition. There's not a huge difference. There's just a year and a half of applied effort by me to make it somewhat different. But it took me a year and a half to do the second edition, and I think it's really worth it. I like it much, much better. So in Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking, you get the 10-doorway model. But whatever your methodology is, if you're doing in lean, you should expect for people to change and for you to change, for it to be not just exciting, but for it to be refining, that it is refining you as a human being, that it is giving you greater sensibility, sensitivities, and you see that around you where you're learning, truly learning. Where one, remember we talked about the three outcomes. The first outcome is achieve a showcase. The second is trackable bottom line results. And the third is adopt an attitude of learning. Where you're actually learning. And you do what uh, Ono said Toyota was about. When he was talking about the culture, he said people don't come to Toyota to work. They come to think. You come to think. You come to engage. Again, I was talking to this manager this morning. And we were talking about courtesy and about elegance of etiquette and caring for the human being. And I said, you know, the the thing that I'd love to see also included in your thinking is vigorous, intellectual engagement, interested interest in why things happen and how. Not just from an engineering aspect, but from your aspect. What's going on with you? It takes guts, it takes a certain bravery, but I like to think of it more as appetite, as just so interesting. How does that work? And how does that factor bump up against this factor, bump up against that other factor that I see coming down the road? What's going to happen next? Are we prepared for it? Let's see. Ah, we stumbled. What was the nature of that stumble? For me, that's the interesting Petri dish of the work of my work. And I've met many, many managers and many operators who share that interest, who share that appetite. And what you want to do is give your plant, give your your company a chance. And so you put this infrastructure in place. You put up the I-beams and the plumbing and the uh, electrical connectivity. You put the stairs, you put the elevators, You put beauty on the walls as part of the basic infrastructure of your company so that the company can learn, so that you, you are prepared and have prepared for learning and for investigation. Hmm. We have a great deal more to talk about. What I've attempted to do now is take three shows off. I thought it was going to be two. Three shows off to show you what's behind doorway number one in terms of your role, your job, what you can do. 
as Marianne said, what was it that she said exactly? Something like, I've been struggling with this. What is my part? George had the same question. This is what you can do. You can prepare in this way so that you have a way for information to get to you, that you have an opportunity to understand what things mean. You can become a participant without being pushy in the process of change. You have prepared the ground. You feel confident at the beginning, and you start your learning right now. I'm now going to keep my eyes opened. I'm going to keep my line of sight. I'm going to look for meaning, not just behavior. And I'm going to be an active participant. I've done the starting part. Now let me use this infrastructure to become a part of this change. And now the operators can can create and own their areas. They can implement the visual wear. They can implement their need to know, their need to share. And there will be a resonance in the plant to hold it. And this transformation will move through the plant like uh, like a garden. <laughs> I've actually never used that image before out loud, but it's like a garden going into bloom with the very, very rich harvest, people harvest and uh, benefit harvest. And we've never, we have never seen when we've been involved in an implementation, uh, less than a 15% increase in productivity on the operator level. That, of course, brings us into the other levels as well because we begin to see the barriers that keep that value from being added to the bottom line. It's very interesting. So I invite you to engage in this investigation for yourself and through listening to my show. I hope that uh, this is of um, sufficient substance for you to find it um, a kind of uh, area of interest for you to listen to what my experience has been over these many years. I love this field. It is endlessly interesting. The only thing that I need to do is make sure I get enough sleep and enough play. (laughs) I've recently moved back to the Atlantic Ocean, and I went out on the ocean a couple of weeks ago on a great sunshiny day, and... uh, I remember there was there were other things in life other than factories, and um, and CEOs, and uh, operators who inspire me. <laughs> there are other things that inspire me as well. I want to thank you very very much for uh, tuning in and listening and engaging with me in this way. Please keep your emails coming to radio at visualworkplace.com, and please um, let the workplace be. Let the workplace speak. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.